Boom, welcome back to another episode of the Espresso Hour where the running joke is this is going to be much shorter than an hour because we are once again hyped up on plenty of espresso here in Cabo. Los Cabos, Mexico? Yeah, it's not Cabo, it's Los Cabos. Los Cabos. That took me a while to understand. Yeah, so there's two Cabo. We've been here for the last four days for Cole Gordon's eight-figure boardroom mastermind event. And here we are on Sunday morning after four days of learning, exploring, enjoying a good time here. And today we're gonna sit down and reflect on some of the frameworks, lessons, realizations, because I think we've learned and realized more in the last four days than the last four months we've learned and we've been reminded mm. you know it's some new learnings some we knew that and thanks for the reminder we just need to go do that exactly that's how I felt almost within the first 18 hours of being here it was like same oh we know exactly what to do yeah. we just need to go do it so why don't we look at some of these um, frameworks that we took away we'll do some lessons and then we'll end with some realizations of maybe where we're gonna go from here. What do you think? I, yeah, and I think it's probably worth sharing. This is just a little preview. So we're just gonna go through high level. These are some of the big takeaways that we have, and then we'll probably do a second where we go in depth into each one of these. Yeah, this is a little bit of a brain dump because we haven't done enough distillation. There's been a ton of events, a ton of, it's like back to back to back to back to back, and then you have parties at night and whatever, and then you wake up the next day and you do it all again. So luckily we have two plane flights, both three hours each and a three hour layover, layover where I think we'll be able to do some of this and record the next one. But all right, here's my list of frameworks that I've been keeping um, and we can talk a little bit about each of these. First one, that 10-80-10 rule because we've, we've heard so many people, everyone here has a big team. So we're lucky enough to have a small lean team and they have more experience with hiring and managing and training and hearing them talk, they didn't say 10-80-10 directly, but 10% you learn how to do something, and then 80% you then teach and have your team execute the middle 80%, and then you finish off the last 10%. Well, yeah, I would actually, I'd clarify too, first you do it 100%, mm -hmm. so you yeah. are first doing it 100%, and then when you decide to get yourself out of it, you're still, you're pass, You're not passing off 100%. I think this is like the real takeaway. You're not passing off 100%, you're passing off 80%. And the 10% is, I'm gonna tell you what to go do. The 80% is then the person goes and does it. And then the last 10% is quality control. You're mm. like, did you do the thing correctly? And I think this is kind of one of the big lessons and takeaways that I had as well is like, when you hire someone, the mistake is, I hired someone, now I'm out of it. And really, you're not, out of it, you're still just as in it, it's just your responsibilities change. Instead of you doing it, you are now responsible for overseeing the doing of it. Mm. And that goes beyond labor leverage, but also ChatGPT. Yeah, same Same thing. exact framework. The first, you do it all yourself, and then the first 10% is writing an effective prompt. It's going to do the middle 80%, and then you still have to QC the last 10%. So now I'm always thinking, and I wanna bring this going forward, is mm -hmm. like, what am I doing 100% of that I could then start just doing 10% of, the middle 80% is done 80% as well as I could. And then I think the more difficult part is what does that last 10% look like? Mm -hmm. like? What does it actually mean to QC what someone else has done? Yeah, which is why the mistake 
the mistake happens in both phases. Either A, the person never learns how to do it 100% on their own, which is why in Ship 30, we're like, you need to understand the framework first. You have to get it 100%. And then B is when they try and pass it off, whether it's to an employee or to ChatGPT, they just write one prompt and then expect it to spit out 100% correct. And mm. that's, that's not what's gonna happen you still have to be responsible for the 10% on the front end of writing an effective prompt and the 10% on the back end of quality controlling what's the output. So I like that framework a lot, both for uh, employees and also for AI and technology. Mm -hmm. I think we should write more about that and dive deeper on, especially the chat GPT side. Yeah. Like, what does it look like to get that first 10% right? Because mm -hmm. you could probably train it to tell you what the last 10%, it might need help. like. Tell me where I need to go review what you just did. Right. You know, that's where it gets kind of meta. But all right, framework number two, power of the recurring meeting. So we did a lot of thinking on for a while we didn't have any recurring meetings getting to where we were. And I think that was fine because it was always like there was no set there was nothing recurring in the yes, business. Exactly. Like everything was changing. It was just like there was no way we were going to, to do that. But I realized having set recurring meetings to discuss certain parts of the business every single week, just putting it on the calendar, you're forced to improve that area. And you then have a lens of when an idea comes to you, you say, oh, perfect, I'll just add it to this list to talk about during that meeting. Yeah, I feel like the, the more important takeaway with that is what you said where when you have a recurring meeting, you're, you don't have that open loop the rest of the week where you have to think about it and then think about when you're gonna communicate it. Mm. You, it can just marinate in the background knowing that five minutes before that recurring meeting, you're gonna go to that stove in the back of your brain and go, oh yeah, 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 there's five things that I wanted to share in this recurring meeting. Mm. So it also reduces the amount of bandwidth that you're spent, not just thinking about the thing, but thinking about when you're gonna communicate the thing. Yeah, and you can pick different parts of the different parts of the business. Mm -hmm. Like just an example for us, like we just started having a recurring YouTube meeting and in one meeting, our thumbnails improved 10 times because it was, what are we gonna do during this 30 minutes that is somehow different than what we're normally doing? You're going to have to make some improvement in some way. Yep. And so that was an interesting, we started to map out, okay, what are the recurring meetings that we wanna have and put those on the calendar and then you can always change it. But once you have it on there, it's a new lens to iterate from rather than, oh, when are we gonna talk about this? So I think we could have done that a little bit earlier, but now it's starting to click of what are the actual recurring parts of what we're gonna do to scale. Yeah, and I'd say the third one is if you have a recurring meeting and you get through everything in 10 minutes, you don't have to sit around for 30 minutes or 60 minutes, just be done with it. But the cool forcing function, and yeah, we saw this on our last recurring meeting on the video side is if you get through the things that you wanted to talk about in 10 minutes, well, now you have another 10 minutes or however much time you have in this recurring meeting slot where you should ask the question, how do we do this better? Mm. And I think a lot of times recurring meetings get a bad rep because the whole purpose of it is to just look historically, like did we do what we were supposed to do as opposed to using it as a forcing function for if we were gonna do this better, what would we do? Upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. And you have to think, if you had a 30 minute recurring meeting where every week, 15 minutes was spent, how do I do this better? It's impossible for six months to go by and you did not realize we've improved at an exponential rate, just improving this one aspect of the business. Mm. So we're gonna definitely leverage those going forward. All right, next one I had was 
the immediate ROI of immersive time thinking on the business. And we felt that in the first 24 hours, like on our flight over here. Yep. And then we sat down and had just talked the next morning. It was, you get so caught up in the day to day that it's easy to just stay heads down, focused on like the incremental things. But how often do you zoom out and think on the business, on the way you guys operate, on meeting cadences on overall direction right rather than tweaking numbers in a dashboard and you heard that with people talking about paid ads mm -hmm. and the whole rabbit hole of what we learned about that but the number of times they're just so focused on individual numbers that they just miss huge waves or huge potential strategic decisions so i felt that you and i need to do thinking like this at least on a every six weeks to a quarterly basis is like zoom out from everything and say, okay, what are the big pieces? Yeah. I had a, my mentor in Chicago used to always say you're either working in the business or working on the business. And a lot of times the stress or the tunnel vision comes from just too much time spent in the business opposed to stepping away and getting to work on the business. So yeah, I totally agree. All right, next one, we're gonna make a whole video on this one, but our new framework for bottleneck analysis. So looking at oh, yeah. leads, conversion, and I think there's gonna be a third one of operational bottlenecks. Mm -hmm. So when people don't have enough time to build any systems and looking at each profit center of our business and saying, what is the bottleneck to generating more leads, to converting those leads into customers, and then to fulfilling on those. Mm -hmm. And at any time, for each of those, there should only be one bottleneck that creates this giant list of things you could work on because for each of those, you are only working on the most important thing. And then you look at all of your bottlenecks that you could improve and say, which is the highest leverage one to improve. Mm -hmm. And that takes discipline because we fall in victim for that of like a new shiny object. Where does that fall on our bottleneck list? And yeah. starting to have the discipline around, okay, that put it on the list, let's brain dump it, let's you know entertain it but don't act on it right now because here are the objective things that we're working on and here's why we're doing them. Yep. Yeah, and let's we'll share our dashboard that we're building for that because that's really helpful. Two quick things on that too is one when you do that sort of like initiative analysis is actually uh, being very objective and quantitative about it. So each initiative, like what is the material impact on the business? Like if you improve this one aspect of the business that you're like, oh, I could totally improve that. But best case scenario, it only raises revenue by like 20 grand versus, oh, if I work on this other side of the business, it's less shiny. But if I get that right, it raises the revenue 200 grand, mm -hmm. right? That should be a very clear signal of which one you should prioritize building. And then the second one, which is kind of like the funny theme for this whole past few days for us is sometimes the bottleneck is literally you don't have the next thing that you want to sell built. Yeah. So it's like, you don't even have a problem. It's just not even available. So the bottleneck is just turn it on or <laughs> launch it, mm -hmm. you know? And I think sometimes I, I feel like we do this all the time too, is you make it more complicated than it needs to be. And it's really not. It's like our biggest problem is we don't have more expensive things for people to buy. And that is most people's problem that are, that are running businesses. Like they find one thing that works and then all their customers are happy. And then all their customers are like, you don't have anything else for sale. Like that's your biggest bottleneck. Yeah. We learned that when we were doing our bottleneck analysis, what is the number one thing here? Not available for purchase. Yeah. Like <laughs> so literally that bottleneck before you start thinking about all the other things that you could do. Yeah. Doesn't exist yet. Yeah. So that was funny to 
because we that happened in the first 24 hours and then we spent the next two days thinking well these are all really helpful but it's still not for sale and we need to go solve that right one. so it was like solving problems we don't have which i know is one of yours but all right another cool framework from kevin uh ship 30 current ship 30 or fellow miami guy um gave me this cool framework for how to pitch yourself to be on podcasts so i haven't told you this um just because I wanted it last night, but basically you look at your podcast guest list. And so anyone that you've had on, mm. and then you get a VA to go look on all, all the, the podcasts, podcasts they've, they've been, been on. on. Ah, that's smart. 50 of them, whatever. And then you do a cold email to them and the title of the subject line is, so let's use Justin Walsh, for example. Mm -hmm. It's just Justin Walsh episode is the subject line. Mm. And then you say, hey, name, you know, just saw you had an episode with Justin. He was also on mine. Loved how we talked about this, this, this. Mm. Notice you haven't had anyone talk about writing. Would love to, you know, come on and talk about the power of starting to write online, blah, 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 blah. That's a great idea. And you just have a list of every pod, and you do that for, we could do that with like Dan Coe, other people in our space. And you have, the, the key thing was the subject line being, X person episode and we had that guest in common. Yeah, because uh, they recognize exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was smart. like, that's a genius framework. So thanks, Kevin, for sharing that one. Um, okay. Matt Gray's idea of open sourcing your team. Mm -hmm. That was really cool. That was a poolside idea. Mm -hmm. Hence the benefit of doing stuff like this. We were sitting by the pool and we were talking just through some of the problems that we were thinking through. And Matt Gray, who's another creator, was here too. And we were talking with him. And yeah, he had this really helpful idea of whenever you're thinking of hiring someone for a new role, instead of asking the question of how can someone on your team who has that skill set provide that role from an education standpoint as well. So for example, like Daniel, who builds all our automations and uh, all of our ops things, has a really valuable skill set. And I think the regular way of thinking about it is if we wanted to hire someone inside one of our programs to teach like building infrastructure or operations or automations we would think oh we have to go find that type of person to be like a coach and instead a different way of thinking about it is i have this team member who has this amazing skill what would it look like for them to then go articulate their skill to whatever the program or community is that needs that skill. And the counter benefit is when you have team members that do that and they're forced to articulate mm -hmm. what they know, it reinforces their learning even more. So what you really want, and I think this is a great North Star for us now, is like every person on our team shouldn't just be able to execute it, but they should also be able to articulate it and share it with other people. And if you really wanna get meta with it, like that's kind of how I think a lot of companies moving forward are going to go like mm. all companies are no longer you can't just execute you also have to educate other people on it because everyone's realizing education is the best form of marketing so mm. i think we are more and more like moving into that world where the more that you can articulate it the more leverage you have out of that person the more their feedback loop shortens because they're going to internalize it more right like you can see how that yeah, flywheel spins. really compounds and it's a good lens for people you bring on the team if you don't think this person could ever teach what it is they're doing, you have a problem. Exactly. Because they're, you have to be able to do both. Yeah. So we want to explore that with Daniel having some stuff, Katie, Justin, et cetera, just having their own standing sessions to reinforce their skills. Which by the way, just like real quick is our whole philosophy too on even just how you and I think about it. Like I really don't think that 
Like it's really hard to make a living just as a writer. Like as a writer, you actually want to monetize not just your writing, but also how do you write? You want to monetize the education as well, or you at least want to share that education. And so every type of creator is more and more, you're not just doing the thing, you also are sharing how you do the thing. And so if that is what's working for creators, that should also be working for team members and employees as well. And they can share and market your business with, here's what I'm doing inside to do this. Exactly. And then they build their own thing as well. So very cool idea, Matt, thanks for sharing that one. And yeah, the benefits of just sitting by the pool and thinking. Yeah, huge. Yeah. Okay, two other quick ones. Um, and the, these are kind of more with your lessons. So why don't you start to talk about a few of yours because I think these all kind of fall in that category. Yeah, so one is, one of the big questions I had going into this is uh, I recognize that I, both of us, don't know a lot about paid, paid ads. And a lot of entrepreneurs build their businesses 100% on paid ads. Whereas we've been all organic and even my agency before this, we didn't do paid ads. It was organic and cold outreach and email. And so I know very little about paid ads. And so what I, what I was curious of is going to a mastermind like this where 80% of people build their entire businesses on paid and understanding what are the pros cons? Like, is there something that we're missing or something that we're not understanding? And basically where we netted out and Cole Gordon ended up like, having a monologue that spoke to this yeah. like verbatim. And as I was sitting there listening, I was like, that was the value. Like that's what I wanted to get out of this, which is paid when you're starting at a cold start at zero, if you get it right, yeah, you can grow really quickly, but ultimately then you, you end up on a hamster wheel and you're constantly in this churn and burn where there's no compounding because you're mm -hmm. always just redoing your paid campaigns every two or three months. And there's businesses that are built that way that are really incredible, but it's interesting to observe, you know, a room of 150 entrepreneurs where all of them go, yeah, I would love to get off the hamster wheel. Like organic is the holy grail. And organic in the beginning is a lot harder to build. Like that first year or two of organic is really challenging. But if you can get past you know, 18 to 24 months and start seeing traction with organic, you are in such a radically different place than if you were to build on top of paid. And I feel like I'm walking away from this going, oh, we did the hard work. And now like there's a world where we never run paid like, ever. And I'm, I'm curious to see how far we can push things before we ever have to think about turning that on. Yeah. The a number of times people said, I'd love to build organic, but I can't because I have to continue to tweak my paid ads. Otherwise the business dies. So yep. the first thing, my one of my realizations is everyone wants an organic content business. No one wants to write a thread every single week for two years. And you hear people <laughs> talk about, yeah, I started to build organic, but it just took so much time. And like, I had to go back to my paid ads. Mm -hmm. And the aha moment for me is they're spending time tweaking paid ads that they could be building an organic content flywheel that is positively compounding their reputation. Instead, all they're doing is fatiguing their audience even more with paid ads tweaking endlessly that is more or less negatively compounding yeah, their just reputation. drilling people with ads, yeah. Right, so it's the same exact amount of time. One of them could be spent positively compounding, one of them is just endlessly kind of dying, mm -hmm. right? It, it, the natural end game of a paid ad is zero but the natural end game of organic content is exponentially higher. Mm -hmm. And just hearing people put those words every single time, it's like, I'd love to do what you guys are doing, I just don't have time. Yeah, the, the second lesson building on that is, 
What also really clicked for me is all these companies and businesses build these teams around paid and they spend a massive amount, like six, eight, 10 hours a day, just inside Facebook ads manager, like tweaking ad sets and tweaking creative, creating, you know, 200 different versions of the same ad, right? And I think, and this is like the first time it's really clicked for me in this way of, most people think of organic as, oh, I have to post on Twitter. And, and they think of it almost in like a very personal sort of way. Like, oh, I have to post what I'm eating for breakfast on Twitter. And that's not the way to think about it. Instead, think of organic as your paid ads department, except instead of spending money on the ad, you're spending money on labor. And so the same way that a business built on paid is spending six or eight hours a day obsessing over creative and tweaking ad sets and targeting, your organic team should be spending, right, like six or eight hours a day going, how do we clip more shorts out of our podcast episodes? How do we write higher uh, virality threads? How do we get more out of the tweets that we're writing? Like my takeaway from this whole mastermind is organic content is the engine of our whole business and the same way that paid ads businesses obsess over paid we should obsess over the quality of organic and our scale looks like building a, a team of labor leverage opposed to cranking up the ad spend on facebook and ironically they still have content teams and they have to spend money to put that in front of right people. so they have double the expense right yeah and so for us it's how can we take some of that budget and build out a really cool studio? So we're thinking about how to do that in Miami of how can we have a podcast and YouTube studio because our that investment compounds on something that compounds. Yeah. Right? When you have a better studio setup, your organic content looks that much better. And since organic content compounds, that's a high, high, high return on investment versus, hey, we bought this paid ads or we bought the studio and we're only gonna run it on paid ads. Right. So just a great lens and it feels good to walk away with a number of people saying, our long-term strategy is to stop running paid ads. Mm -hmm. And it takes, it's very difficult and the option to turn paid on for us is there if we wanted to. Right, but the option to turn paid off mm -hmm. for other people is not there. Right, their business is dead. Yeah. So that's why they're stuck on the hamster wheel. So we have some ideas of, of how to continue doing that. Another great uh, takeaway, just really quick one, is no one knows how to use ChatGPT. I've, <laughs> I have yet to see anyone put a slide up showing a ChatGPT exercise writing a prompt that is more than like two or three sentences. Mm -hmm. And, you know, shameless plug, if you haven't subscribed to writewithai.substack.com yet, that's our new paid newsletter on ChatGPT prompts. The, the takeaway for me is that people still think of ChatGPT as this like, it's, it's the 1080-10 rule. It's like, if I just give you 10%, you're gonna give me 100%. And that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of times when you look at the prompts that we write, our prompts are not two or three sentences. They are literally like, <laughs> like 500,000 word instruction manuals mm -hmm. and with like different sets of rules. And as I was thinking about it last night, I'm like, I think we could templatize how we think about writing ChatGPT yes, prompts too. Yes, I've wrote that down. So I'm just, that takeaway, like the, the two things I would double click on there is A, we are still so new to this so 
just experiment, experiment, experiment. And B, I'm recognizing how much of an unfair advantage and powerful skill set we have there to leverage. And so I just want to spend more time playing with that because I think we can educate people on how to write prompts really well. Yeah, two things on that. First, with the short ChatGPT prompts, I understand why people think that works is because ChatGPT tells you, it, it doesn't reflect your poor prompt so say you just write two sentences, it still gives you like quick output uh -huh. where you're like, oh, that worked. Right. That was a good prompt because it gave me an answer. It's a faulty feedback. Exactly, loop. exactly. So, but once you see the power of a comp, like a high quality prompt, you start to understand the true power of it. And then second, no one in this mastermind is writing on Twitter. Yeah. Everyone goes, Twitter? Like, what are you guys building on there? How? Yep. And so ironically, ChatGPT has taken over Twitter and so everyone on Twitter is like, oh, ChatGPT is old. Like everyone else has to use it. But like no one's on Twitter that's building these businesses. And so if just because you're late on Twitter, you were still in like the first 1% of understanding of a technology, mm -hmm. which also put me at ease too of like, oh, okay. Yeah, it sounds like, sure, there are thousands of ChatGPT threads, but no one here is reading threads or even writing them. Yeah. And so it's still extremely early, which actually goes to one small point from Rich Sheffern on like the five-year marketing cycle. Mm. of most like things that, that work, work for about five years. And I think we're in like year two of Twitter and Twitter threads. Mm -hmm. And because no one at this group and all these people are making 500, 600, a million dollars a month just on Facebook ads still. And they haven't tapped into the distribution of Twitter. And when you tell them, they're like, no way that would work. And so it feels good to be at that spot too. There's there, we should do a whole episode on the five year marketing cycle. Cause yeah, right now, uh, driving email subs from Twitter threads and LinkedIn posts, I think is like really underrated. Mm -hmm. Like most Extremely. people don't, don't know how to do that. And also, even though it's been around forever, I still feel like educational email courses are so under the radar. Like mm -hmm. it is wild how many people try and capture emails by offering either discounts or just being like subscribed to my newsletter. And I feel like systematizing our process for educational email courses is another like it's going to be another five years before that becomes conventional wisdom so mm -hmm. uh, a big takeaway for us from this mastermind was whenever you hear something working for someone else that you haven't heard of yet you should make a note to like go down that rabbit hole for a second and if you find that not very many people are leveraging that prioritize that mm. yeah i like rich's question on Find a group of people building in your space and like once a month, ask them hey, first question, yo, what's working? Yeah. That's it. Because they're probably stumbling on something new that's working, staying at the forefront of that of just what's working, what's working, what's working. Mm -hmm. And he had a great point of like, always share what's working. Yeah. Because people are going to find out about it eventually. And if you become the person who's like, yeah, this is working and you're constantly sharing that knowledge, that's compounding positively for you as well. Yeah. And most, <laughs> even if you share what's working, the golden rule is most people aren't going to execute on it. Mm -hmm. And then the few that do are going to be like, wow, that was so helpful. Let me come back and share with you what's working for me. So it's all positive. I thought his point on the difference between a promotion and a business was a great mm -hmm. uh, point too, which is, I think this is more, this might be more applicable if you're running paid because the problem with paid is uh, like everything is amped up. Like when you succeed, it's amped up, like you can ramp faster, but when you fail, it also accelerates faster. So when something doesn't work, it can plummet. And a promotion is like when you find some sort of offer that really works, and especially if you use paid to turn it on, 
And then in three months, if no one wants that promotion anymore, if you've built a business where you have overhead, AKA employees or expenses or costs, and then that promotion doesn't work anymore, all of a sudden profits go down, expenses stay fixed and you're in trouble. And I think the tangential takeaway for us was how many of these lessons here in this mastermind were, be careful, make sure this doesn't happen, but that whole idea is based on you're spending a lot of money on paid. When you're running an organic business and you're operating at such high margin, when when something doesn't go right, it's not like it all just falls apart tomorrow mm -hmm. because you're not also spending, you know, some of these guys are spending 100K, 200K, 300K, 500K a month on ads. So you can see how all of a sudden, if you're not still profitable for a single month, right, the whole thing just falls apart. Mm. So I, I still think that that's a good challenge question of, are you running a promotion or are you actually building a business that compounds? And I'd say a different way of saying it is, are you running a promotion or are you building a category? Like all I could think about was like us educating people to start writing online is not a promotion. That, mm -hmm. is, that is a category that is going to continue growing because more and more people want to write on the internet today than yesterday. So I also feel like that's a helpful lens of, is the category that I'm building or the niche that I'm building growing or shrinking over time. Hmm. Yeah, I like that point a lot. He had, Rich Treffern, I think, had the best presentation by far. By far. OG marketer, been in the game for a long time. Info marketer, specifically. Yeah. Like, that, that world is so different. And, like, one of the coolest things that I find is that the Silicon Valley and SaaS world knows nothing about the info world mm. and there's so much to be learned from the info world like it blows my mind that you have these billion dollar SaaS companies that like don't even have effective email segmentation it's like how mm -hmm. that's like the easiest thing you could do so yeah. i love learning from people like that the guru's guru yeah as he, as he the goes guru's by. guru i like that uh and then i'd say uh maybe the the last one is just not wasting time solving problems that you don't have mm -hmm. i think that was kind of like how we felt this whole past four days is a lot of it was really helpful, but I had this feeling of this would be a lot more helpful three months from now, or this would be a lot more helpful six months from now. And once you recognize that you just need to like do the one thing in front of you, it, it like we both felt like almost frustrated. We were exactly. like, I just want to go home because I know what to execute on and there's no sense thinking about or trying to solve problems that you don't have yet. Yeah, my new mastermind framework is go for the first night and then go to a different hotel and work the whole next day on what you know you know should be doing. Yeah. Because we could have done that on, I think we could have done that on Friday before the event even started because uh -huh. we just did so much thinking like, oh yeah, that's exactly what we should do. Yep. And then we sat through a whole day of presentation and woke up Saturday frustrated like frustrated like all, all i want to do is go home and so luckily we got two flights ahead of us and then we'll be back in the game yeah but a lot here to crystallize and distill yeah and immediately apply immediately apply right it, it's figuring out and i i was talking to some some people as i was leaving dinner last night who had been to these events before and they said the number one thing is make a list of everything you learned pick three things that you're gonna implement and then just set a reminder to revisit the long list in like three months or go re-listen to those presentations because different parts will hit differently. Uh, great and I idea. like that point of, and I think you can do that with learning anything, right? We came to this definitely with an open mind of like, okay, let's soak in a bunch of things. 
immediately saw what we should go do. We need to almost forget all these other cool frameworks and mm -hmm. anything that's not gonna compound for us, like the mystery box or oh, the treasure such chest. Such a good idea. That one is coming soon. That one is really cool. I don't even think we need to talk about that no, one. No, the moment uh, Rich shared that in his presentation, I was like, oh, Genius, we gotta do it. Because we could so do it with the treasure chest. So we'll do an episode on that one later, stay tuned. But. I think that's it, man. I think that's it. We got a lot to reflect on, but just wanted to brain dump these. Um, I always think it's really helpful when other people go and do stuff like this and go, this is what I learned. So we just thought this would be helpful. And we'll probably do a couple episodes in the future going down the rabbit hole on each one of these. All right, boom, that's it for this episode. Your job on this one is reply or leave a comment or write a Twitter thread with one takeaway you had from all of these takeaways so you know, or we know what to go deeper on, what we should build an episode on. and. That's it, we're gonna go enjoy some breakfast, get out of this beautiful resort, and, and get home. back to our beautiful home in Miami and, and get to work. So thanks for listening, y'all. Have a good one. We'll see you in the next episode. See you, everyone. Boom.